0: Resporting, this is podcast number three. We are doing all the sports while none of the sports are happening, but that is gradually changing. I'm Jen Sederhelm. Brent Ford is on the phone today and Eddie Williams is with me as well. Eddie will be chatting a bit more about AFL, but... After we had our chat last week, almost immediately after we had the chat, the NRL came out with a big announcement that the season was back on as of May 28, and I've actually not had the chance to speak with either Eddie or Brent since that announcement. I'll start with Eddie. Eddie, hello, first of all. How are you? Good, thank you. Surprised you?
1: Oh, Yes. I mean, clearly the NRL had been pretty eager to get back on the field, probably as eager as any other sport, if not more so. We know about some of the financial issues. We know about the pressure coming from Channel 9, having a bit of a crack at the NRL for the way it was managing things. May 28, it's pretty early. Is it a bit of a, a gambit and they'll eventually push it back to something else? Uh, I don't know. It seems a bit unlikely to me.
0: Okay. What do you think, Brent?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of questions that need to be answered, and one of them is how is the NRL going to get the competition back underway on May 28? I think they've gone a little bit early. We saw, of course, there was the, the talk or the confusion between whether the NRL had actually communicated this with New South Wales Health, whether New South Wales Health had been in communication with the NRL as well. I think Prime Minister Scott Morrison's also played in on, on it as well, so... I mean, there's a lot of question marks over where and when this competition is going to start. I think the Warriors, less than an hour ago, actually said, you know, we don't actually know what's happening. If we want to be part of this competition, we've actually got to leave by Sunday. Otherwise, we're not going to make it in time, guys. So we're part of this competition. How about you include us in the discussions as well?
0: I kind of had eliminated the Warriors from my thinking, but I want to weigh in on the May 28 date and say, I thought it was a great thing because someone eventually was going to have to come forward and set a date to restart things. And May 28 is six weeks away, but it's still six weeks away and a lot can be worked towards in that time. So I was actually super impressed with the NRL for being the first group organization to say, all right, this is what we're aiming for and we're going to try and do it.
1: Yeah, and I think there's nothing wrong with setting a date and saying let's plan, let's prepare, let's work towards this, let's have a think about what the competition is going to look like. Ultimately, if in six weeks' time the health authorities say, nah, you've got to wait another week, another month, another two months, then so be it. But you're right, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the NRO having a target and doing some of that prep work now.
0: Mm, And I've got one further thing to contribute. So it's all pointing towards being held in New South Wales, but look at us here in Canberra, I have to just say it out loud, we are at a point where we seem to have managed to keep things out of the ACT. I see that Goulburn, for instance, just down the road, hasn't had a case in the last two weeks as well. So why don't they consider us as a venue? It's not a bad location. Yes, it'll be a bit colder for them. They'll live though. <laughs> but seriously, I really thought, can't believe no one's even put it out there as a possibility. I think,
2: Perhaps maybe the sporting infrastructure itself here, just having the the one oval in use. I mean, you could argue that Monica Oval could be used. The Brumbies used to use it as a rugby union field when they first entered the competition. So you could... Utilise that, maybe Seaford Oval, Mm. if you were prepared to use that. I know some Canberra Raiders diehards would absolutely love to see the Raiders back at Seaford Oval. One of them, Caden Helmets from the Canberra Times, he's a massive advocate for Seaford Oval to be used in competition going forward, whether it's once a year or or whether or not. I know Tim Overall would love for that to happen. But whether or not you have to keep them at the AAS, we already know that some of the athletes are being brought back for competition We know the Olympics isn't on at the moment, but perhaps it could be utilised in that way. They all stay at the AIS. They get their feed and all their food. It's already there for them. So whether or not that's the situation they could use, I don't really know. But there's a lot of, I guess, stuff that needs to be organised before competition starts. And I go back to what you're saying. I like the idea about them coming out and setting a date, but I just the thing that really sticks with me is how is it going to happen I think it's all good to to come out and say that, yep, we want to restart the competition. But I think there hasn't been enough working done to actually set that in motion. And the arguments with Channel 9 that are going on at the moment, Phil Gould getting in arguments with everyone. <laughs> that's his Son way.
1: Well. Isn't he going to <laughs> run the sport in a couple of weeks?
2: Yeah. yeah. So if the NRL could come out sometime either this week or next, and say, this is the plan that we had to have the competition underway. But the fact that they just come out and say, May 28, yep, that's when the competition will come out. And everyone's sitting, scratching their heads a week later going, well, how is this going to happen?
0: They've also brought out the, not a blatant advertising campaign, but they've done their We Stand as One advertisements this week. Now, Peter flanders has said he's spoken with the head of Nine now and they've had a very amicable meeting, which he said he thinks they can meet in the middle on. But he also now needs to meet with Fox. He's got to get Fox's support, but he was hopeful on that. And as you mentioned beforehand, Brent, he has Scott Morrison actually praised the NRL for thinking ahead. I felt he praised the NRL. New South Wales Police Commissioner Mick Fuller said everything's okay. I mean, of course, he's not exactly the benchmark to decide these matters, <laughs> but you know, all these people add up. So I kind of still feel like the longer that people set dates and this will be the question I'll put to you in a moment Eddie, the longer we set the date in the future the harder it is actually to restart so I kind of feel like the sooner the better, especially if if things are starting to look better in the health environment and then the players don't have as much of the fitness concerns. It's like when you sit there and you you buy a house or something like that and all of a sudden you've got the moving date and you've got to get everything organised by that time I just think it could happen
2: I think it's a potential you've obviously got to look and I think that what they're looking to do at the moment I'm no health expert but hoping that with less people or virtually no one coming in from overseas then it's less likely that there's going to be exposure to coronavirus here in Australia from that and then hopefully there's this sort of the people that do have the virus either recover or they stay inside and don't infect anyone else so eventually the virus dies out by itself I think Yeah, the whole having just bought an apartment and knowing what it's like to have to actually go and and get it all done, maybe that's the way society comes back up and potentially the way that sports restarts. I have no idea how... I mean, they're even talking... I just read something before we came on talking about the WNBL free agency period. I mean, the Capitals here have no one signed at the moment, but they are not yet, I suppose, looking at throwing money around because they don't have an idea on what the competition is going to look like so perhaps maybe if these competitions have an idea of what it's going to look like it'll make it easier to restart. So exactly perhaps, and someone has to start Maybe it. yeah it's a good point So I just I, think it could yeah. happen
0: if everyone gets in and sets that date six weeks from now it could happen if everyone gets on board and then it is the benchmark for all the other sports and on that note of course the AFL was thrown into a dither because of course they weren't Everyone was caught off guard by the announcement, but has the AFL taken the news?
1: Well, I think the AFL is certainly not going to start as, as soon as the NRL, if, if the NRL goes ahead on the 28th of May. They've had slightly different approaches. The AFL put its competition on hold before the NRL did. In this instance, the NRL has come out first with a, a new date to restart. The AFL is still very keen to have the full, what will this time be, a 17-round season with every team playing every other team once. That is still what they want to do. 144 games is still the target. The staff have been working from home. Gil McLaughlin, according to The Age Today, addressed all the other AFL staff via video link and he'd apparently grown some sort of holiday beard um, or had written them a letter and was telling them how his daughter was elbowing him or he was elbowing her while he was trying to write the letter because he's working from home and everyone's going through these things at the moment. They're keen to to go ahead. They're putting the staff, not the senior executives, but the average AFL staff onto job keeper to keep them in a job, to keep them paid. And some of the discussion seems to have gone now to... The financial side of the AFL, ways to try and reduce costs. There's been talk about in years ahead, do we have smaller club lists so that there are fewer players to be paid? There's been talk of scrapping the state leagues, which I think would be a great shame. But Mm. I guess as a cost saving thing, I I suppose, but a lot of people would be very upset to see the likes of the VFL, the Waffle, the Sandful, the Neefle going the way of well, the way of the Northern Blues, who the Carlton side cut ties with recently. So you've had all these sorts of discussions around the financial side of the AFL, and then in terms of the games coming back, there's this bizarre suggestion, and I don't like it, that when the games are played with no crowd, that there should be canned crowd sound effects <laughs> yes, as if you're isn't watching a sitcom.
0: Isn't- that hysterical of all the <laughs> things to spend money on is having like a, a track in the background so that the players. it's Well, never I don't think it's like
1: for it. the players. If you watch round one of the AFL, the players are having a great time. They weren't high fiving; they were doing the elbows or whatever. <laughs> they they were having a ball. Yeah, it was different, and and I, I was surprised the number of people watching the games who said, "Oh, this is very weird watching the AFL. There's no crowd. There is sport played all over Australia and all over the world in normal times, week in week out with." little to no crowd, right? Yeah. I do some commentary with the Neful competition and you go to a Canberra Demons game, particularly if they're playing up in Sydney and there's, there's more people on the field than off sometimes. Mm. That doesn't lower the quality of the game. It doesn't lower the commitment of the players and, and I don't think you need canned crowd sound effects. But anyway, I guess that's a pretty minor detail in the scheme of things.
0: Because WA looks to be starting to think about reigniting their businesses and so on. Mm. One of the things that crossed my mind this week is that the AFL could play in WA as a possibility.
1: Take all the teams over there and base them there. Yes. Potem- well, and that is the thing because it, obviously New South Wales and Victoria have been the worst hit yep. by the virus, the other states less so, but therefore they've put in quite strict measures to keep dodgy New South Welsh people and Victorians out. And Queensland's um, been
0: so strict with the borders that I thought actually WA might be... Interesting
1: idea. Up. Certainly one way to restart the season would better play a bunch of derbies, better have Mm. West Coast play Freo, even if you then had to have a couple of weeks off afterwards because you couldn't get other games organised. If you could organise a game between teams that are already in one state, you can have Western Australian derby, you can have the showdown in South Australia, the two Queensland teams, the two Mm. Sydney teams, and obviously the 10 Victorian teams. You could pair them off into five groups of two and get some games done, even if it was just a week or two of matches and then you had to have another period of time off. It might be something to... Get, get a bit of impetus, get a bit of momentum to, to try and restart the season, I don't know.
2: Port Adelaide and Adelaide were scheduled to play each other in round, round two, so I mean, that could work. Mm. Just going back to your thoughts just before, Eddie, around the, the list sizes, I mm. think Yago Mira didn't make any friends uh, coming out <laughs> with his comments. I mean, he's a player that has spent a lot of time on the sidelines injured on a, a big contract, mind you, and he came out and obviously didn't make any friends by saying that he would be in agreement that in the future they could potentially be cut to list sizes. But the second point I, w- I wanted to make is if they cut these state leagues and you lose the VFL, the Waffle, the NEFL and the likes, where are these players going to play? I know previously the AFL did have a sort of national reserve competition that was played and they had under-18s, etc. But I don't see where all this talent can go. No. You can't send it to... The leagues, I know here... Mar- Lauren local- Batman
1: Eagles, maybe, Brent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, potentially. It'd, it'd just be a flooding of players all, all over the place. I know the local AFL Canberra competition might perhaps lower its rules. I know it's tightened in recent years with the point system so that talent has actually gone elsewhere hmm. across the, the state or they've gone to the, the NEFL, etc., because that's where they can play and, and they can get paid what... They are deserved as well, and uh, I make no pull no punches in saying that that is the case. Players are going to the Riverina to get paid and play football, so I have no doubt that whether or not these players are playing in the VFL or Waffle, they're going to find a way to to find a way to get paid, even if it's not at this high level competition.
1: Yeah, so there was at least one report in the media this week of of one insider saying, well, you know, in match committee we don't really look too much at the results or how people played in the VFL or whatever. We're we're looking more at what role can they play. We're not that fussed about whether the VFL team is winning. Other comments Mm. that perhaps in the state leagues, in the VFL, some of the... Decent older players are no longer playing there. They can get better money in some of the metropolitan or, or you know, regional country leagues, as you say, people heading out to the Riverina, for example. So maybe yeah. there's an opportunity to revamp some of these comps, but I think the idea that you just have some practice matches that the clubs are organising for sort of reserve scratch games is not really good enough to keep players up to scratch at being at that top level.
2: No, I agree.
1: So just going back to what Brent was saying about Mira, where he was adding weight to this argument that maybe they should cut. Size of the lists to, to reduce uh, some of the costs of the clubs and he was trying to mount the argument that perhaps the quality of players in the AFL has been diluted since there are more clubs than there used to be, bigger lists than there used to be uh, and the guys at HPN Footy crunched the numbers and found that quality of games, scoring etc, there's no correlation between there being more players on lists and games somehow being less entertaining or players not being as good or the crowds not enjoying the games. So he's not going to make many friends among fringe no. players on AFL lists I suppose But unfortunately, in all industries, these are the sorts of discussions that organizations are having about ways to cut costs. But it'd be a shame because some of the people's favorite players are those fringe players. I'll throw some Geelong names out there like Paul Kloriotis and Cameron Thurley and Mark Blake that people used to like watching and they weren't the best player. But sometimes those fringe players, and it's the same in the NRL. You look at how often Sam Williams has been in and out of the Raiders team and I think probably half the Raiders fans love him and half of them maybe don't have the same opinion. Some of these players are the ones that are the best to watch.
0: I get that too. And other respects, this is your grassroots level for bringing new players into the system. So how can you... Possibly yeah. get
1: rid of it. Throwing a bone to, you know, a player that might have been on the outer at another side or one mm. that's come through one of the state leagues as a mature age player, taking a bit of a punt on them. On the other hand, there are clearly a bunch of fringe AFL players that just aren't going to make a long-term career out of it and potentially would be better off focusing their attention on becoming a plumber or an accountant, a small business owner or whatever the case might be. But I think they still deserve a crack.
0: I agree too. It's going to be a really interesting evolution for them over the next couple of weeks, particularly as someone else has put a date forward Mm. as to what they do. All right, Ed, number three. Number
1: three. Well, I'm cheating slightly here. My number three sporting moment of all time is Geelong beating Hawthorne after the siren. This covers Jimmy Bartell's point in 2009. It also covers Tom Hawkins' goal in 2012. It probably even covers yeah. Isaac Smith missing after the siren in the 2016 qualifying final. These two clubs have had such a great rivalry. goes all the way back to the 60s, I think, rejuvenated in the 80s, the 89 grand final, much like the NRL in the VFL-AFL, Stroke the 89 grand final, considered to be one of the greats. And then since Hawthorne upset Geelong in the 08 grand final, the rivalry kicked off again. The Cats won 11 games in a row against Hawthorne, including two where – they were behind for uh, in the Jimmy Bartell case, behind by uh, more than four goals early in the last quarter, had been down all day, somehow came from behind, and even with their two best defenders on the bench, Jimmy Bartell took the mark, and as Kelly Underwood said, he's kicked a point, the best point he'll ever kick, how sweet is redemption, <laughs> and the Tom Hawkins game was sort of the reverse, where the Cats were up by more than 50 points early, and then the Hawks just pegged it back, took a two-goal lead late in the last term, and somehow Tom Hawkins gets his hand on the ball a couple of times, and Kicks the set shot from 50 out after the siren I was at both of those games And hair on the back of the neck I've watched the Tom Hawkins goal a lot of times And they're great matches And then the after the siren finish in the AFL always I think takes the cake
0: I I can't even imagine my stomach being able to take it Being the fan that you are. Like oh, I-
1: and Geelong has been involved in more after-siren finishes than any other club. I was at the game where Peter Riccardi kicked the goal after the siren for Geelong to win. They've been beaten after the siren. Ash McGrath kicked a goal for Brisbane. They've had teams miss after the siren. David Mundy missed in a game that would have beaten Geelong. Brad Johnson for the Bulldogs missed. He had the chance to beat Geelong. Harry Taylor missed after the siren when the Cats could have beaten the Bulldogs. Hawkins kicked a point to draw a game against GWS. For some reason... Geelong likes to take games right down to the wire. There was Zach Tui a year or two back against Melbourne as well. They've got a habit of it, but those two against Hawthorne are top of the list for me.
0: Is it better for you to have been there? Does that add yeah, to the Yeah, I, so. I think so. I think so. It's
1: not quite the same jumping around on the couch as it is being, you know, surrounded by thousands of other supporters, half of whom are elated and the other half not so much. Yeah. Um, that, you know, at the MCG, big crowds, 60,000-plus people.
0: Yeah, wow. Brent, did you think that was going to be higher?
2: I thought it may have been higher, <laughs> potentially Hawkins goal-kicking, but I'm not surprised, though, because I agree with Eddie that that rivalry, the Hawks and Geelong, is arguably the best in the AFL. I think probably Essendon and Colton, if you were to argue, would be the only one that surpassed it, but in recent times it hasn't really lived up to hypes where Hawks and Geelong is, has gone on forever. And the only thing for me... I feel sometimes when a moment happens, the, the commentary is so perfect, and I feel for Kelly because I think at the time that the she's behind sort of losing thing, her voice, she's sort of lost her voice, and so the moment, and it was sort of the commentary was lost in the in the moment where I find in some of the commentary or the, the moments that you you're watching the the commentary matches what happened so perfectly. It's almost like it was written in a script. But I, I felt for Kelly, and I've had it happen to me as well, commentating local games. You <laughs> go to commentate a goal and you, you sort of lose your voice. And yeah. you go, oh, well, I'll never get that back again.
1: It's an interesting moment, Brent, because that 2009 game where Bartel kicked the point, it was Kelly Underwood in commentary and it was Chelsea Roffey was the goal umpire signalling the goal. And wow. only a few years earlier, you would not have had a female commentator or a female goal umpire involved in such a big moment. No. Fun.
0: It's actually funny, Ed, with, and what you were just saying, Brent, too, because part of my third sporting moment has to do with the commentary that's behind the moment as well which we'll come back to in just a moment. You are listening to Resporting. Brent Ford, Eddie Williams on AFL. And we're going to catch up with Letsy shortly, who's going to give us a bit of an update on the cricket. Resporting. I have Brent Ford and Nathan Letts on the phone. We're going to be talking some cricket now. And uh, Letsy, there's been, unfortunately, a decision made on the IPL.
3: Yeah, disappointing, but I guess to be expected. Suspended indefinitely, unfortunately at least for now. So who knows if they'll be able to find a window. It would be really hard with the other countries' international schedules. It's a bit disappointing for people like Pat Cummins losing out on a solid $3 million plus for about a month's work and a couple of other Aussies on million-dollar-plus contracts as well. So it's disappointing for them, but also disappointing for the viewer as well, not being able to watch the best in T20 cricket with all the internationals coming around to India. Just what they got to do with all the lockdowns over there.
0: It'd be the least likely to be able to resume easily because, as you said, they've got players coming in from virtually every nation. It must be every single cricket-playing nation must have someone in the IPL. So it's just beyond ability right now to be able to restart this season. They're just going to have to look towards 2021. Well, that's just
3: it because it's it's the only T20 tournament with an international break sort of associated at the same time. So it's, they can't really logistically move it anywhere in the year at all because other tournaments are on or other series is on with different countries so if they want to get the best in the international players coming across to India then they're just going to have to just going to have to wait out till next year when all this corona stuff is gone and billionaires can spend their billions of dollars on players and advertising and things like that.
0: This is going to have implications for the World Cup if it goes ahead. I mean, it's a big if at this stage because a lot of the players who have really great IPL seasons, of course, that sets them up for the World Cup.
3: Well, it's a great lead-in, isn't it? Especially this year, the IPL to the T20 World Cup. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with MS Dhoni, player for India, obviously he hasn't really played since the last one day ODI World Cup last year in England. And he was hoping to play in the T20 World Cup later in this year, but it's going to be really hard for him. And I'm going to really interested to see how that's going to work out him being selected for the Indian team. If he does based on no games whatsoever, because he'd be able to prove himself in the IPL, of course, but Mm. without that, like, Well, do we still think
2: the World Cup, I suppose, is going ahead? I think the more we sort of look at it, it looks less likely and likely. I'm still mind-blown by the amount of money that's going by the wayside here. But when you talk about billionaire, passionate Indian fans wanting to spend their money, well, where else is better to spend it than on their own teams here in that IPL? I think you raised an interesting point about MS Dhoni and whether or not he'll be able to find enough touch in time if there is a World Cup to be able to, to make his case. You'd think of, on his record perhaps he's good enough to make the squad, but whether or not he actually makes the 11 that plays on game day, maybe against the Minnows, and hope that he finds some touch. We know on his day he can be a match winner, but there's a, yeah. a lot of question marks for sure.
0: I want to say that he's past his best and he shouldn't be on the team, but I just know that Dhoni is one of those players who rises to the big game occasion and he'd be the one who at the end of the World Cup we'd all be like, well, we didn't see this coming with Dhoni, hasn't he had his moment in the sun? I can, I can imagine it. So you write him off at your own peril, don't you? That's just it. And
3: I think it can go, as you say, two different ways, if he gets selected, that is. Either he crashes and burns, which not ideal for anybody, especially India, or he will absolutely smash it and like <laughs> be the top-run scorer in, in the World Cup.
0: Mm. Brent doesn't know this. I want to mention it because it's a big deal for you too. Unfortunately, you discovered that you're not heading over to England for the blind ashes.
3: Yeah, it's an unfortunate. I'm a blind cricket player. I've uh, represented Australia at a World Cup a couple of years ago, and we just sort of found out in the last few days that the series has been cancelled between Australia and England, which was scheduled to take place in August, which is it's an unfortunate thing. But I guess, yeah, that as well, like the IPL, I guess we all sort of saw it coming. But it's actually quite good because everyone's disappointed, but the morale's relatively high because we're all thinking forward to next year, which hopefully there'll be a tour, the Blind Cricket World Cup over in England as well. So it's disappointing. It would be great to beat those English people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, it sucks, though. It'd be so great if they could reschedule it for next year for you. But as you say, if there's World Cup next year, then you can beat England another time.
3: That's it. That's it. And any time's a good time to beat England, whether it's a World Cup or international, Ashes. <laughs> Both would make it even better.
0: Now, you were going to talk with us about something else that was not cricket-related today, a bit of WWE, which hasn't yeah,
3: stopped. WWE. Now, some news has come out this week. Generally, you would think of essential services such as doctors, grocery stores, people who are delivering things, but you wouldn't necessarily think pro-wrestling. But that's exactly what Florida Governor Ron Santos said Believe is an essential service for <laughs> some reason. The state actually added a new category <laughs> to their essential services for pro sports and media production with a national audience. So it looks like it's <laughs> almost designed for the WWE.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, you forgot the important caveat. Only if the location is closed to the general public. So, recent, well, I mean, we saw, I think it was just last week, the WWE did a, a two-night WrestleMania, which I don't think had ever happened before, and it included, I think, some of the weirdest matches I've ever seen in being a, a wrestling fan, and unashamed to say that. there's Some of the weirdest wrestling, and I know sport without a crowd is a, a bit strange, but having WWE without a crowd led yeah. to some really creative Matches and we saw The Undertaker with his Boneyard match, but also John Cena and Bray Wyatt in the Firefly Funhouse. I'm still scratching my head as to to what happened.
3: I don't think we'll ever be able to figure out what that match was about, but it was fantastic anyway, I thought. Both matches were... They were basically short films, so it was great (laughs) to see the... (laughs) to the WWE branch out a little bit and uh, try something a little different and what better time to do it? Like if they got no crowd at WrestleMania might as well give something else a bit of a crack. But that's it. It's interesting.
0: So John Cena is still wrestling. Not
3: super often. I think he's for the most part he's focused on acting and things like that now. But yeah, he yeah. comes back. He's still the big money maker for the WWE. Like his merch is still still sells a bunch. So he's a, he's a good money maker for Vince McMahon.
0: Wow. It was almost
2: seen as a, a hat tip almost in the way that the, the match was portrayed. And I've seen some of the conversations around it, sort of poking fun at his career and the WWE. And it was almost his sort of hat tip saying, look, I'm going to go do some acting now and sort of follow the similar career path to the Rock who has also seen some success in, I guess, High end action movies that make a matzo and then you don't really watch them again. And <laughs> it's probably similar to what John Cena's going to have.
0: Yeah, I'm waiting for him to be a future Tooth Fairy John Cena. I think he's pretty much <laughs> done that movie John anyway. Cena, tooth fairy. <laughs> All right, let's see. Your sporting moment number three. Okay, well, 2006
3: Boxing Day test. You might have already guessed it already. Is it warning? Bang on. There you go. Bang oh,
2: on. Shane Ward,
3: A little bit wet, a little bit cold. So the ball was moving around a little bit for the steamers. And in the second session, Shane Ward obviously come into the test with 699 test wickets. Decides to have a bowl and clean bowls Andrew Strauss for the 700th wicket at the MCG, His home ground it's a script that you couldn't really write better if you, if you wrote it. It would almost be unbelievable if you did.
0: Is Warney your favourite player?
3: One of. One of my favourite players, yeah. Probably, yeah, Stephen Smith is up there as well, but Warney is definitely one of my favourites because not only for his bowling ability, but he's just such a character as well.
0: He's the ultimate showman, there is no doubt about it, and when he was at his peak, you just came on and there's moments when you watch cricket and it feels like nothing's going to happen, and for hours it can feel like that, but whenever Warren was bowling, you always felt like something was about to happen.
3: Often, it did. It's amazing. Like, 700 wickets, he's the only one who has even gotten close to that, or gotten past that, but... It's just amazing like the sheer number of wickets he got throughout his career.
2: Do you think it would be possible in the manner in which his career started?
0: Because he didn't start all that well. took a bit to get going, and it was that ball of the century that was finally what we now see as being the start of his greatness, but he really wasn't. And Lion was much the same, actually. Lion took mm. a bit to sort of start to come good and Warn was the same. But funny you should say that, Brent, because I think a lot of people forget that because of the myth of the man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If it's okay with you guys, I'm going to tell you my third best moment because I know that this is one that Letsy will also appreciate too. Letsy contacted me a little bit ago and said, where can I find some whole games so I can watch? And I hadn't even thought about it. You know how we can go back and watch all the highlights of great AFL and NRL games, but you don't get... The package of five-day great test matches, I've not seen them. And if you go onto YouTube, for instance, you'll get like classic moments, but you won't get whole days of play. However, I have some box sets at home of a whole test series that have particular resonance for me, and this is my highest cricketing moment in my top five. Ooh. And Brent, I know you said to me the other day, is it going to be Steve's 100 in the day at the SCG and I think it was 2001, that happened. But it's not that moment. It's going back two years prior, going back to 1999, Headingley. And it's the final match of the Super Sixers in the World Cup where we oh. beat South Africa. And Herschel Gibbs, who'd made a century in the first innings, dropped Steve Waugh. And,
3: oh, you dropped the World Cup. Oh, no.
0: And I love that whole match because this was such a, in terms of rivalry, we had such a fraught history with South Africa over their alleged choking. I say alleged, certainly any Australian who has watched cricket feels like South Africa chokes against Australia, but that's by the by. And Australia was three for 48 when Steve came in. South Africa were above us on the table. All they had to do was win and then they would still go through to the semi-finals and we would be eliminated. But for South Africa, they did not want to lose that match. They wanted us to be eliminated because if we won, we had to play them again the next match. Anyway, the rumour is that that's not at all what Steve said. But the myth of what the commentary was has just grown bigger and bigger as the years gone on. Mm. The only thing that Steve's confirmed, he said he definitely said something to him about oh that's a significant drop for the match and he said something, but not quite how it's turned into the yeah. myth and legend. But what he did confirm afterwards, and I just love this, he said, I've never said South Africa were chokers, I said they couldn't play well under pressure. So, <laughs> so he's just poking the stick that in all the way through. It's like Warney, because Warney of course played in that match and in fact in the next match, Warney was the man of the match, but the myth of the team was all about that hole that they could get under your skin as well as play good cricket. So it wasn't even so much the, the play, it was this authority of this mighty Australian team at that point in time who were invincible. Even they had the worst start to this World Cup. They lost a game that they should have won and every single game from then on was must win or they were going to be eliminated. And I just have to say a few more things before I go because like, this is the ultimate two games for me. We actually played Pakistan in the final and Pakistan got all out for 132. So it was one of those really anticlimactic finals of the World Cup that didn't really matter. In fact, I didn't even remember it was Pakistan we played in the final because the two games before were so important. In that final match at the Super Six, um, we won with two balls to spare, with off some messy fielding from South Africa. And then in the next game, when we played again, South Africa had to draw or win. Sorry, we had to win. If it was a draw, South Africa were going to go through. And they had like three balls left and they only had to get one run. And they had their two tailenders in, Alan Donald and Lance Klusner. And they just, they got silly. They freaked out and Klusena got run out in stupid, yes. stupid circumstances. And the elation from the Australian team in that moment, and especially from Herschel Gibbs who'd come from the game beforehand being a hero and then going to being, watching this whole thing fall apart. And if you don't know the moment I'm talking about, he has the ball. Steve War, who was on 56 at the time, hits the ball to Herschel Gibbs. Gibbs has the ball. And then he tries to throw it up in the air in celebrations and he fumbles and drops it. In other games, it's almost like you could have got away with it, but it was his face because he knew he hadn't held it long enough to be able to say, oh, whoops, I've just, you know, let it go now that I've caught it. And so Steve stood his ground and the commentators just couldn't believe it. And that... Literally, in the end, was the moment where South Africa did drop the World Cup. So that line has gained the myth around it. But those two games, of which I have, let's see, the entire games on my box sets, I have watched many, many times and they have never lost the glory of that particular moment for both Steve Waugh, my personal hero, and for Australia.
3: (sighs) Wow. Amazing. Sounds great.
0: Yeah, it was incredible.
2: Well, I think now that everyone has shared their moment, I'm going to take everyone to Game 7, June 19, 2016. Now, we're going to the Oracle Arena in Oakland, California. Of course, I'm talking Game 7 between the Gold State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers.
3: Oh wow! wow.
2: Oh, yeah. What a game this was. Of course, Golden State had led the series 3-1. No side in NBA history had ever lost after being in front 3-1 in a series. They claimed game four, 108 to 97. In the two games after it, Cleveland had actually shocked Golden State. They won at home 112 to 97, and then actually beat Golden State at home 115 to 101. Now, this is a Gold State side that was virtually in the same breadth as the 96 Bulls. They were one win away from tying them as one of the most successful teams in a season in history. They won 73 games during the regular season out of a possible 82, which is just absolutely ridiculous when you think about it, considering how much travel that goes on in the NBA. And this is two minutes to go. In the game between these sides, and I remember it so vividly because I was sitting in the the back of an action bus. <laughs> it's a minute 54 to go, and there's a fast break. Andre Iguodala has the ball. He walks over half court as he's sort of sprinting, and he passes the ball to Steph Curry. Steph Curry gives it the ball back to Andre Iguodala, and out of nowhere, out of nowhere, you think for sure this is going to be the perfect season. Andre Iguodala is going to put this in the hoop and LeBron James comes from absolutely nowhere and blocks it. And in that moment you could hear all of the Oracle arena just go silent. This perfect season had just hit a skit. It was just this moment where Cleveland city that had no success for a long period of time in American sports. They are absolutely rubbish at just about everything. The Indians were cursed. They lost the baseball series that year to Chicago, who had also not won a series in forever. And that's another story. But the the Cleveland Browns are terrible as well. (laughs) They can't win any game in the NFL at the moment. And they're still trash, even after they got all these draft picks. But this was Cleveland's, moment and it's so fitting that LeBron went away, he won two titles, he comes back to Cleveland and he beats a side that is arguably one of the greatest in history after being 3-1 down, he blocks it and then there's sort of a few moments where they trade shots, they get another rebound and then the ball gets given to Kyrie Irving. Now Kyrie Irving, of course, born in, in Melbourne when his dad was playing here in the the NBL. He hits this dagger three and you can't believe what's happening. Cleveland who has no right to be in this series should have been wiped off the floor by this incredible shooting side of Golden State is three points up and they end up taking the, the series and LeBron James delivers Cleveland its first ever NBA title.
0: Wow. I didn't see that game, but I felt like I just lived through those last couple of minutes in your description there, Brent.
2: When you get a chance, I would advise that the main thing, you can pick this game up and get a feeling. i watched this series back, all seven games, and it just has so many twists and turns in it. Now, obviously, people can't watch seven games <laughs> of basketball. They probably could if they're just sitting at home. But if you watch any part of this series, watch the last two minutes of game seven and you get a feel for how hard-fought that series was.
0: So did Steph Curry get his premiership in the end?
2: They'd already won titles and there was this talk of this Golden State Warriors dynasty. Yeah. Um, Of course, the... They had the the heartbreak of where they'd lost to Oklahoma. Then they, in the Western Conference Finals, they won two titles. Then they lost this one to Cleveland. Then they came back the next year after signing Kevin Durant and won. And then they had that series then against Toronto, where Kawhi Leonard obviously went beast mode. A lot of injury things happened to the Golden State Warriors as well during that time. And people don't really understand. These basketballers are playing three or four games a week over the course of a season. So when you go into the postseason, there's a lot of wear and tear on the body, especially playing on the hard court. So Clay Thompson has an ACL injury. Kevin Durant does his Achilles. And so they end up losing that series to Toronto. But they can never, never say that that Golden State Warriors side wasn't one of the best.
0: No, and they're supposed to be playing now, aren't they?
2: Yes, this is the crazy thing that's happening at the moment. So, basically, the the NBA season got locked down after there was confusion. It was between the the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder were meant to to play a game. Basically, all other games had been played for the day. There was about seven or eight games, and Oklahoma City was the last one that to be played on that day. It was the second-last one, I think they canned the New Orleans Pelicans game that was meant to happen. Basically, there was a lot of confusion that potentially a player had contracted coronavirus. Oh, that's right. And it was revealed later on that Rudy Gobert, the French international who'd been making jokes earlier in the week, he touched all the mics of the, the oh. journalists at the press conference earlier in the week, had contracted the virus. Now, there was a lot of blame game on Rudy Gobert as to whether or not he was the one that spread it. Christian Wood, who he actually played on, who plays for Detroit the Friday prior. I think this was a Wednesday, but a Tuesday in the, the U.S. They'd played Friday night in the U.S. Christian Wood got it, was asymptomatic. So mm. there was the potential as to whether he gave it to, to Rudy Gobert, but who was first? Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert's teammate, ended up getting it, and then I think five nets brooklyn nets players kevin durant who hasn't played a game for them of course still out with that achilles injury he's on with brooklyn and he's got coronavirus as well so i mean there's the potential that when the competition starts back up you've got all these players that have had the virus so whether or not that affects their athletic ability or or their breathing capacity their lung capacity we know it can potentially scar the lungs so there's a lot of uh, questions raised over whether these players will be able to get back to, to full fitness.
0: Well, and as you just said, if they're playing four games a week too, this is going to be a fascinating benchmark for other sports as well for having had players who have been infected coming back to the games, unlike anywhere else that I can – I know soccer's had some as well, so I suppose they've got implications for the game. But basketball's are so full on that having that lung capacities so critical. Gosh, it's going to be interesting and a a real shame. They haven't put a date on when they're going to resume though, have they?
2: No, so there's no real uh, date on when the NBA's going to resume which is a bit frustrating for those over there. It's a multi-billion dollar industry and is watched worldwide by I guess hundreds of countries but it becomes really hard to to put a, a date on it I suppose. There's been talk of potentially playing games in front of empty arenas, which has been laughed at by some of the game stars who say you only play in front of the fans, that sort of thing. But Mm. it might get to the stage where the billion-dollar owners might get restless and decide that there might not be any choice and they decide that these games need to be played in front of no crowns. And obviously that could happen, that the players fly in private jets. So there's team private jets that... Vary the players around because of the the schedules. You could be playing in Florida on the East Coast and then have to jet out of Miami and go play Golden State the next night in a back-to-back travel situation. So you're on the plane at 11 p.m. at Eastern time and you end up in San Fran at probably 10 a.m. the next day. It's kind of crazy.
0: Oh, gosh. We've got it so much... Easier in some ways here in Australia to resume some of the sports.
2: Very lucky.
0: We are indeed. And on that note, we're going to have to wrap this program up. That was a powerful moment for your number three and a way of talking into – basketball because of course it's we've got our own competition here, it would have been part of the Olympics and just discussing how other sports have had much greater severity via the coronavirus than what say even the NRL, the AFL have had we've been really lucky, we haven't had a player in either of the codes, or cricket no, for that matter not that, we,
2: not that we know it so it's, you hold your fingers crossed and hope that it, it doesn't happen and the book can sooner rather than later
0: Letsy and Brent, again, fantastic catching up. It's nice to keep sports alive. You're listening to Resporting.